Hello and welcome to the Race FF podcast. I am your host, Jaime Garcia. And today, you know, I I look at uh, kind of my own shortcomings in um, the, I guess, social media sphere. Um, and I've always been really interested in people that do it a lot better than I do, mainly for the selfish reason of, uh, you know, trying to copy what they do and seeing if I can uh, kind of like streamline it in a way that I could be able to do it. And, you know, with having Russell on, I I've been very lucky to kind of get like the boost of, uh, having acuity on there and really seeing a lot of the work that, um, acuity does on their social media. Of course, deliveries are freaking dope, but in terms of their social media and videos, Instagram stuff, like all, all of this is really being head up by one person. And today I have that person on. So um, thank you very much, uh, Powin Song, for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time and um, looking forward to this. Thank you so much. Um, I'm really glad to be on here. It was uh, really exciting to hear from Russ where he was just like, hey, I think uh, Jaime is going to reach out and ask you to be on the podcast. And I was like, well, I mean, I, I hope I can provide some uh, helpful perspectives mm-hmm, and stuff mm-hmm. in social media because I was just mentioning to you earlier before we hopped on, like, I feel like my position at the company and kind of how it came to be was definitely an unconventional path. Um, so I'd love to, you know, break it down however you need, mm-hmm. give you tips on social media if, if it's useful. I, I don't consider myself an expert, but I mm-hmm. consider myself and definitely being a veteran, I'd say. Like, I've oh. been on social media in terms of content creation for a long time to mm-hmm. kind of see what's been good, what's been bad, and kind of, like, hopefully foresee what's kind of going on in the future. Mm-hmm. I really don't know what's what's kind of to hold because I kind of feel like it's harder and harder to innovate on the platform mm-hmm. every now and um, as the time goes on, you know. Um, but yeah, let's, let's get this going. I'd I'd love to kind of hear what questions you got. So, I mean, most of, you know, motorsports, you have kind of two routes that most people will look at. And that is one, you become talented enough, um, as a driver that you are undeniable and you become the max for seven and you're an F1, um, Or the other one where you're just born into a silver spoon and you have everything set up for you and then you're the Lance Stroll, if you will. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, for, I think, the large majority of us out here, it's more of like, I am passionate about this. I may not be the fastest person out there. I may not be, you know what what have you but you really want to do this and work and perfect and get better at it so what was your path in terms of getting into the motorsports was it always like something that you were interested in terms of photography or video editing or how did it it come up um for you so honestly like i think my my interest and my passion in in motorsport really came to be uh, boosted up by kind of my work with Acuity and also just kind of being with my friends that are in the thick of motorsport, you know. So I guess I started out, honestly, like my interest with cars was just basically DIY stuff, building street builds, maybe like a turbocharged E36 was, I guess, my um, mm. my biggest goal at the time in high school. And I achieved that uh, at midway through college, which was a lot of fun. Mm. Um, but the transition into motorsport came kind of naturally as... 
uh, I, I kind of built my position with Acuity and kind of getting involved with all the racing, especially at Grid Life and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I saw what grassroots motorsport was all about. Because previously to me, I thought something like racing on the weekends for me was almost unattainable because mm-hmm. I was imagining the cost just being so much more than what I could afford. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just realized that, you know what, like, no matter what kind of career path that you're going down, I realized eventually that, you know, if you really wanted to get into racing, um, you'll get there. It just takes time. You know, everyone kind of goes at their own pace and everyone has different budgets and stuff. But kind of seeing the grid life drivers and the grid life community and the grassroots community that kind of grows out from there, mm. it was just it was just very reassuring to see people of all types kind of enjoy what they do no matter what kind of car they're driving, no matter what skill level they're at. And and um, by getting into that community, I was um, convinced to try out local HPDE events. Like mm-hmm. there's a event called Mass Tuning Track Fest in uh, the area where I live. Mm-hmm. And it's a very affordable way to get just any street car that can pass an inspection mm-hmm. to put it into a driving environment that you can really test your limits. And once I realized that that was kind of achievable with kind mm-hmm. of where I was at with life, with like the way I was saving money income mm-hmm. wise, you know, being able to pay off all the bills, you know, adult yeah. responsibilities, it was just, it was just so nice to get to that point where like, you know what, job's going good. I feel like I know what I want to do with cars. I really like the cars that I'm working on. I'm just going to give it a shot. And um, I'm not turning back. That's for sure. I'm kind of feel like I'm only two years in for my own type of motorsport stuff. But when it comes to being involved with the motorsport community, I've really grown a lot of attraction towards it. And I've always mm. found myself wanting to just really go out and go to these events, whether it's with work, with friends and, and stuff like that. Like it's, it's been a very fun experience in that regard. I don't uh, know if I answered your question correctly. Is that no, no. Kind of in the direction you're going. I'm, I'm no, sorry. no, no. That, that's that's perfect. I, I mean, there there are two points where I I kind of want to touch on, is sure. that one, what is your area? Because I, obviously, like what I've learned is that the car community is uh very similar in very in in many ways, um, but. It's also very unique to uh, specific regions. So I know that uh, Acuity, I, I believe, is based out of uh, Louisiana. Atlanta. Oh, uh, no, Atlanta. So we used to we used to be in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Okay, okay. Um, and when I say we, I mean the shop team. Yeah, um, yeah. Actually, when I started out at Acuity, I was fully remote. So I'm still fully remote. So I'm the only employee that kind of works outside of Atlanta. Okay. Um, but yeah, so they're in um, Marietta. Okay. Uh, Georgia, so it's a little bit, I think, northwest of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, but I live in Boston, so I'm basically oh. like central New England, essentially. Oh the, wow! The stereotypical New England area. Oh wow! <laughs> but, uh, Northeast, yeah, that's yeah. dope. Uh, dang. Then I, uh, uh, I mean, I was up in uh, Pittsburgh. So I'm not sure how far away that is. Like, oh, I, you're you're still like six, seven hours away. Okay, from me. <laughs> okay, yeah, because I, I I mean like that whole region to me is uh, really lost on me in terms of distance. Like I I know yeah. like all of the southwest area in terms of like how far things are, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I had no idea that you were in Boston. So mm-hmm. another thing that I've been like kind of uh, rooting around with every guest who I get. Um, it's kind of like 
being an automotive enthusiast, we all know that there's some sort of government regulation in terms of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable in terms of modifications. So what what is uh, required for you to um, you know register a vehicle since you were mentioning you were turboing a car? Um, oh yeah, so I guess I guess a better way to explain it is is how difficult it can be and really <laughs> <laughs> if i'm going to be perfectly honest like people say california inspections are, are bad but massachusetts inspections are probably about the same if not maybe a little bit more mm. invasive like to give you a perspective okay every inspection shop has five cameras on the car what yeah so there's one camera per corner at an inspection shop at least the ones in my area so there's one camera per corner to, to just record the process and then the tech that's doing the inspection has a camera on their person, and they take a picture of the dash, the plate, and different aspects of it. Oh so God. what used to be like a 10, 15-minute inspection is now like a 30 to 45-minute inspection. Now, granted, they do it as fast as they can because no inspection tech is going to spend 45 minutes on the car. That's wow. just not – they're not making any money off of that time. What's that? It, it still costs 35, 40 bucks. Okay, okay. So. Yeah, so it's not terrible, but it's just there's so much more stuff that goes on. Um, and the machines now are getting more and more clever. So oh. basically, for example, with my Civic, um, I can definitely like still tune the car mm -hmm. and still pass inspection, but that's not the same story for every make and model. Mm. So Hondas, I think, are lucky in regards to being able to have like tunes that just manipulate some like timing tables, fuel mm -hmm. trims and stuff like that. But if it goes into like changing out sensor um, feedback, that's when it starts to raise a red flag for us around here. But that being said, if your car is like 15, 20 years old or older than that, you don't even have to worry about getting plugged in. So like when I was doing the turbo E36 build and even the race car build with my 97 M3 right now, mm -hmm. I really don't really have any worries with the inspection. If the safety equipment works, seatbelt works, has a horn, the, the car will still pass with flying colors as long wow. as it doesn't have any like crazy obvious modifications that like a loud exhaust straight piped or it shoots flames like you know like the obnoxious stuff like if, wow. if your car can can look like it it belongs in the road safely chances are it'll be okay but it has to be old enough so it's like really so strict what's the, the what's the like, cutoff year because i mean i mean in, in socal we all know that if it's uh 1970s and older we we could put an rb fr freaking 2jz in it. it it doesn't matter it's not getting a sniffer test so what's yeah. like the cutoff year for you guys where like it, it, is it 2000 or is it yeah, just 15 years i honestly don't don't pull, uh take my word for it yeah, completely yeah, yeah. but i'm pretty sure it's like mid 2000s and earlier now. So for my rule of thumb is like if the car is 20 years old and older, you're not going to have any problems. It's like as long as the headlights work, seatbelts work, and all the safety equipment works, you'll be fine. Wow. Um, but yeah, just don't do like a hood dump out of the exhaust. Of, uh, sorry, a hood, an exhaust hood <laughs> dump and you'll be okay. Um, or like have a straight pipe and you'll be fine. But like it, it's, it's, it's weird. So like that's why you see the 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 car scene around here, mm. at least where I live, I live in, in um, right outside Boston in Everett. Mm. There's a lot of old modified case-swapped Hondas around here, you know? Like, it's it's pretty cool. Like, I live right by a main uh -huh. road, so every single day I see at least one or two case-swapped or turbocharged Civics just do a flyby wow. down the street. And I, and I kid you not, I also see probably... Uh, two wheelies a day, one on a moped <laughs> and one on just like a sport bike. <laughs> yeah. So I, I didn't know you had a, a, a sport bike. So you're the one doing the wheelies then. 
no, 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 somehow promote uh smog or the the setup that we have here i mean i mean to be honest like the inspections around here what Uh they have done is get rid of all the clapped out cars that are just rusted out completely like that's kind of Mm -hmm. what i think the focus was and i also think maybe the company that took over all this stuff was kind of overcompensating for some stuff because they had a couple mess ups in the past and so it might just be like a tug of war between trying to it, whatever politics that they were trying to appease. I see. Um, and then also trying to not screw over everyone, mm. but like put some safety back into the cars and the road. Because I'll be honest, like even with this inspection laws, I definitely see cars that are like, how did you pass? <laughs> <laughs> like still, like there's some people out there that I'm sure turn the blind eye to some stuff. And But it's it's definitely not easy as a car enthusiast to have your way with the new cars if that makes sense yeah no you really have to be considerate on Mm -hmm. on making sure that it's roadworthy enough Mm -hmm. to massachusetts standards yeah that's that's really interesting because again uh in my conversation with russell it's like the obd2 thing is plugged in for anything that's uh 96 and newer and that's it like there's no cameras there's no nothing like they plug it in, no issues. Look down to make sure you have a cap uh, with the correct serial number or a valid serial number, or it looks OEM, and you're in and out in like 20 minutes. Like my wow. East Gen, um, that's about as much. I think I pay like 50 something dollars. I go in and they they just connect it in and work on. Um, I know that Hondata makes uh, Carb Legal um tunes and uh recently i had someone on who was talking about um bard legal uh swaps that he does um and yeah it's it's wild uh i i was still i'm still stunned that they charge eight dollars to do a bar um certification for like a K swap wow. into a golden era honda but nowhere huh. nowhere is there any check for the headlights being turned on or the seatbelt even <laughs> being looked That's at weird. or no like there there are some clapped out cars out here on bald ass tires the one thing um i think it was in a recent episode of uh slip angle with um with adam was so my race car is a 93 civic si and that one had to put on had to be put on the rollers uh to be like the dyno style uh small oh my gosh so they they hooked up all the sensors oh, to the car well Jeez. just a just a, the, the tailpipe one yeah yeah just a tailpipe one and then of course connecting it to the distributor league to make sure that everything was in time and whatnot but yeah like it, it went through that to get uh certified and yeah it, it's uh <laughs> it was definitely kind of sketchy to see like a dyno run with no straps and just like some chocks on there and being like all right bro like you're in the car but that's wild so Cause we've seen those like dyno mishaps but like dude. imagine it just happening to an average like 
Toyota Prius that has like rattling panels and you know like <laughs> it's stuff like wild. that. Wild, that's crazy. Yeah, but it, it's anything that's OBD one or older because those still need to be smogged. Right. So and there's no OBD two um, standardization, so those still have to be smogged. And anything that's um, what is it? Um, 1970s up to 96 when the OBD two thing um, came in. It's yeah, those cars still need to be put through the smog. But again, if headlights don't work, whatever the hell, seatbelts aren't great, they're they're not checking that. So I I, wow. I think I think there's also like you know, as you're pointing out, there's also an, an issue where the cars degrade over there a lot worse than they do over here because I mean. The rust is not an issue over there for you guys. Yeah. It really is. So it <laughs> but makes it's, sense. It's everything up here. <laughs> yeah. So it makes sense because you literally have cars that the seat will fall out of the car. <laughs> I, Dude, I imagine for my for my Civic, I have screws that were never touched on my car <laughs> that break on my 2020 Honda Civic after just one year through a winter. One winter. And so, like, now I'm just, like, avoiding it when it snows to drive. I'm just like, I'm just oh, going to wait until it just has no more snow on the road and no salt. And then I'll go for a car wash first. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> it's, 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 it's surprising because, mm-hmm. like, it's – I'll say it like this. It was drastic enough in terms of a difference up here than versus the south that mm-hmm. when I went – to uh so part of my job for the the company is mm-hmm. to also do the install guides so mm-hmm. i also validate fitment test fit uh prototypes and then in the process create the documentation to uh, remove and install parts mm. and so uh in atlanta we had a, a bunch of uh kind of prototype stuff in in the works so i had to get like a bunch of different older honda and acro platforms just to mm-hmm. kind of validate a lot of stuff and i'll tell you this there was not a moment in time where i felt like i was nervous about breaking something or needing to order a replacement part mm. because like for the first time like what i was more stressed out was getting the right media and getting all the stuff documented properly mm-hmm. i would not worry at all about the car because everything up in the northeast when i did the same type of work <laughs> I, the first thing was I need to take everything apart once because I need to make sure that nothing breaks <laughs> and nothing is rusted out. Because the first time I had done something like that, it was for a ninth gen Honda Civic, um, and it yeah, looked really, really clean on the outside. Really, really old right? car. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, but it looked really clean on the outside. I started taking stuff apart. I took out the front two screws. No, the front back. Sorry, the rear two back screws on the shifter um, came out fine. Went to the front two. Those two screws poke out through the chassis right above the exhaust. Oh, that's right. So guess what happened there? I took, a, I backed them out maybe halfway, and they got stuck. And I was like, well, I got two options. I either got to soak your penetrant fluid, which I did overnight. Didn't work. Then I tried to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Didn't work. So I decided to risk the biscuit and just put a little impact on it and just slowly <laughs> back it out, and it didn't break. But holy crap. Like, oh, man. I had to do all that. Then put everything back together and then take the disassembly uh, footage and stuff like that oh, <laughs> just to make sure. Man. Because like I can't tell you how many times when I've done my own YouTube videos where mm-hmm. like I'm trying to film something, trying to take something apart, and something just breaks that you didn't expect that would break. But because yeah. it's either so cold in the area, the plastic is brittle, um, there's mm-hmm. so much salt in the road that everything that is involved with an exhaust 
component is just rusted <laughs> crap. Um, oh man! So it's just it's just so it's just a different ball game up here. I have a lot of respect for the technicians that deal with pretty Dude, much half of the labor time right? in rust and rust right? like stuff oh man like uh again since uh you and i are are both in the i I imagine both consume uh social media like every time i see a speed academy where they get like oh we found this canadian car i'm like oh yeah bring bring on the the all all the tools that they have for like rusty to (laughs) out bolts uh i i feel like they should do a highlight reel of the most rusted uh bolts that they have out there because i i I enjoy it it's kind of cathartic when you just see them finally get that thing out um so yeah no you you Mm -hmm. guys are dealing with some rough stuff i mean i'll tell you this much then uh my 93 civic si was in um northern california so closer to san francisco so it did have Mm -hmm. some onshore flow from like um the ocean and there was like certain pockets of rust um but i got every single one of the factory header bolts off with just a three eighths um all the way down uh from separating the two pieces the heat shield all all removed with just the three eighths and just kind of like a level of effort <laughs> after yeah after after working on the cars in atlanta my my new definition of a clean car was can you or can you not remove all your exhaust heat shielding screws without breaking one if you yeah. can you've got a pretty clean car if one breaks i don't know man there's going to be a lot more uh, like that somewhere like, that's, <laughs> that's wild that is so wild so because it, because I bet you, if you were to dry ice clean the bottom of your car, you'd probably you'd probably still have the factory zinc coating on everything, and it would probably shine once you kind of clean it and polish it up. Yeah. Up here, you try to do that; <laughs> it's just bare metal or like just rust, just orange. Everything's just orange. Oh man! So, but I will say my M3 has been a pleasure to work on because mm-hmm. it had a history in Southern U.S. Uh. So like. That car has been a blast to work on. The convertible okay. always gave me hell to work on. Everything was <laughs> Okay. Uh, let, but it's still fun. Let, let's break down. So what is in your stable of cars? So you mentioned you had a 2000 Civic. So I think that's the 7th gen that you were mentioning. Oh, no, no. I have a 2020. Sorry, 2020. Oh, um, oh, yeah, snap. so I was I was oh, just joking snap. that with my 2020, it's only like not even a couple years old, but I guarantee you, there's a couple screws that are breaking. Ooh, under there. <laughs> 2020, <laughs> man, like yeah. you 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 fancy then? Uh, I mean, I've I've never had a car that like, like clean title was already fancy for me. Most of mine were all salvage titles. Someone someone gave up, and I I looked at it, and I'm like. I can fix her. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I that's how I saw the M3 and that's a whole that's a separate story we can get into. But yeah, the 2020 Civic um actually was a good opportunity in terms of like mm-hmm. the price versus the timing. Oh, um, because, okay. Um so so basically I, I mean this kind of ropes into also how I got involved mm-hmm. with acuity. At my previous job before I worked um at this company, I was basically in HVAC. Mhm. So um, my background is mechanical engineering. So I graduated with a degree in ME. And and so I got into HVAC programming as my first gig uh, right out of college. And one of the perks of that job was I negotiated a vehicle allowance because at the time, 
Um, I had the Turbo E36 that didn't have heat or air conditioning or other creature comforts working. So I was borrowing um, cars in my family just to kind of go back and forth to work. Um, and so I was able to get a $500 a month vehicle allowance. Oh, and wow. I started shopping for new cars in 2017 at the time. Oh, and snap. so Yeah, and so I saw either a Ford Focus was kind of a manual option I was looking at, and then the Honda Civic Si, the 10th gen, the first 10th gen Si that came out. And I credit that vehicle allowance and kind of that decision to get a Civic as the only reason why I really ended up working for Acuity, because if I never got that car, I would have never ended up reaching out to even talk to Acuity and trying to get parts for it. So it was either a Honda Civic or a Ford Focus. (laughs) Oh, that's wild. So you have a 10th gen Si. Is it a... Four door or two door? So it's the four door. So okay, when cool. I got the twenty seventeen model, I racked up fifty thousand miles in the first year of ownership. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So and and I, I put it through the ringer. So by the end of my time at that company, mm-hmm. uh, I, that car was clapped. It, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was very very uh, sad. It even got a sad on at one point, and the hood caved in by some oh, like no. kid that was like walking by like the apartment or something or whatever. Um, but anyways, the reason why I ended up getting the 2020 was because um, the car had a decent price left and I had paid most of it off via the car allowance. Mm-hmm. And then I decided to roll that into a brand new car. So I basically uh, paid off the old one with the value of the original car, oh, got wow. a little bit of a discount on the 2020, um, and then also got a slightly better monthly payment price. So it, it nice. kind of overall... Gave me a fresh start on a better car that had more technology in it than mm-hmm. the one that I had before. Um, so fresh start and then also like a better monthly payment. And so mm-hmm. uh, funny enough, I actually just paid off the car last weekend. So Oh, congrats, man. Uh, like thank you. Dude, it was a very that, good feeling. <laughs> yeah, that that like, you know, obviously I, I think for those that do know, the dates that you're uh, pointing out are incredibly significant because of how much the prices have skyrocketed and yes. you were way before that. Cause I mean right. like, dude, uh, all, it feels like everything has gone up like ridiculous amounts and the manufacturer adjusted, uh, retail price or the plus uh, markups is insane. Yeah. yeah. It, it is ridiculous. I mean, in SoCal where we're dealing with that and I mean, you, we, we make the news with like ridiculous amount of price uh, gouging that we get here. So the yeah. fact that you were able to do that and congrats on paying that off. That's freaking dope. I remember you, paying off uh, my Asian. I was, that was the first uh, car that I actually had a uh, payments for. So uh, I was I really the, proud about that. So yeah. The, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm super stoked. And mainly because like, kind of like you said, I bought the car at a period of time where the pandemic was just starting to get mm-hmm. a thing. When I went to go pick up the car was like the first week that they said no more handshakes. Mm. <laughs> like no more, like, you know, everyone's got to wear a mask. So like the, when I was calling the people first, it was like, Basically, we were just hearing about this virus called Corona. Like, oh, is that a beer? And like, oh, whatever. Ha, 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 you know? And then, like, when I went to pick up the car, we were, like, masked. And just, like, it was crazy. And then, But at the time, the car was was actually, like, really cheap. Like, I think MSRP for 10th Gen SI at the time when I picked it up was, like, 25, 5, 26. And I financed... 
Yeah, brand new. <sighs> and so with the roll over the value of the previous car, I think I financed it for twenty three mm-hmm. fifty, twenty three five. Damn. And, and I got it appraised like two or three months ago just for kicks because I keep getting those like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really, really demanding emails trying to say, oh, trade up to the new model, trade up to the new model, we'll yeah. your car, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, you know what? Let's go see what this car's worth. They appraised the car at 27.5. That's wild. That is at 25,000 miles on the car. Dude, that is like Toyota Tacoma numbers. Sure. Like that, that's ridiculous because Toyota yeah, Tacomas and- are, are known for like gaining a uh, price after being used. So that's yeah, wild. So- so, yeah, like my dad has been telling me, like, "Hey, man, like you should you should <laughs> pump the brakes on your spending on cars." But then I I told him the numbers, like, "Dad, you have to understand, like, like I bought my M3 and I bought the Civic at a time when the appreciation was like there's none, and like my M3 has doubled in price since, and the and the Civic has just gone up with inflation, and I'm just like mind blown because yeah. I at the time thought that you know what this is a significant investment, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to make your money back, mm-hmm. and I'm just so grateful that I, I lucked out with this stuff and and still like i still think cars are depreciating assets in they are day. they are this is you have to accept that yeah. it's 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 because you want them mm-hmm. you know it's not because that you that it would actually get you wealthier you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's very difficult to, to 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 profit off of the car market and you just got to take the wins when you can and really maximize it if you can yeah. um, when they happen yeah, I, I think it's we're we're living through um, obviously a, a historical event where um, a lot of things are not making sense. I mean, I can I can look at my own um, experience of being a, a home purchaser, even though it's a condo here in SoCal. But like mm-hmm. from when we purchased to where we are right now, like we're not even in the same conversation. It feels like it's not even in the same like world i, I mean uh, i've always been like kind of a champion of uh, transparency but mm-hmm. like we we picked up our condo for about 309 and wow. and now, what was the interest on it if you don't mind me asking oh uh 425 Oh man, that's like a dream right now. <laughs> so like our monthly payment uh for me and my fiance is like 2500 and um you know, recently one of our neighbors put her uh, unit for sale for four ninety five, and I'm like, dude, this is dumb. Like, this is th- why? Why are you being like abusive to people? And I looked around the entire valley, the Santa Clarita Valley where I live, and that was the cheapest price by like oh ten to fifteen thousand dollars. And it's a well, two bedroom, two bath. I mean, so yeah, you're yeah. you're in Boston. You're not you're not like, dealing with cheap prices either. So I, I feel you. Yeah, it, it's it's gone up enough for my fiance and I were like, you know what, I I'm willing to rent for another year or two, because <laughs> uh, renting seems pretty good right now. Because like you know when you even when you buy a house, like I, I think a lot of people don't realize there's all of these hidden costs too, like oh, the yeah. maintenance and all the stuff to kind of move into the house and get that mm-hmm. first year kind of mm-hmm. going. And we looked at the numbers and we're like, you know what, like. Our apartment building is in a unique situation where they're probably having trouble filling in spaces, so they didn't really increase our rent at oh. all by much. It was Good. like basically under the inflation rate of inflation. So I was okay. like, you know what? That's 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 a no brainer. Like we'll just stay here for a little that's bit good. because whatever we're going to end up paying with a mortgage is still going to be more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean the, these are like really unconventional times in that we have no real data for it. I mean. 
you and I both look at cars as depreciating um, assets because they've never really appreciated unless you bought a Tacoma no. um, and just sold it like two years used. That's the only one that I could ever think of going up in price. But yeah, th- this is uh, throwing um, kind of like a weird, not not a monkey wrench, but just throwing some weird data into this uh, pool of uh, known um uh just just kind of like economy data yeah. it's just like the, the context of the economy is usually like referenced with like real estate top yeah. 500 companies mm-hmm. and all this stuff and kind of like money flows and this but is like, like it's it's just weird so yeah. weird yeah so i want to know about what was the first interaction with uh, acuity and how did you like first get a hold of it was it something that you were trying to do or was it kind of like a happenstance scenario it was kind of both it, it was um i really i guess like kind of kind of addressing the question you had earlier where like mm-hmm. how did i get into like the cars and and how i get into motorsport when i was like really into cars in high school i really just wanted the cool car you know mm-hmm. i wanted to be able to build it and be able to say that i built this you know and so that's kind of how I got into YouTube. My friend Eli started his channel, Ignition Tube, and I kind of got involved helping him fix his cars. And he started filming stuff that I did. And then eventually I got into YouTube myself. And then I did the specialized content around like my E36 turbo build that was like the old 325 um, that basically my dad had bought early in the 90s. But he just kind of kept it in storage for a long time and, and kind of forgot about it. And then I wanted to revive it. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of leading into that, I go a couple of years kind of growing my YouTube channel and it was pretty successful. I think last I checked, it's still kind of 29,000, I think subs yeah, or something. Good. And so, um, it's, it's, it's at a good spot where I feel like if I really wanted to get back into it, I, I could. And that's kind of part of the reason why I kind of put it on pause for a little mm. bit, you know, it's like kind of leaving it as like a weird nest egg kind of thing mm-hmm. in terms of like, oh yeah, I can always go back to it. But anyways, so that kind of gave me more credibility into starting to work with aftermarket companies. Mm-hmm. So I think the big challenge for people in social media is growing your platform enough where you can um, identify and also prove your effectiveness in terms of marketing products for other companies mm-hmm. to justify them and supporting them with the value of whatever parts and cash on top, depending mm-hmm. on your situation and stuff. And so I was kind of in that early stage where like I was getting some discounts and stuff, but I, but I wasn't. And then I was also working a full-time job at the mm-hmm. HVAC. So I wasn't really sure where I was going to start Mm-hmm. kind of rekindling the content specifically towards more BMW stuff or the new daily driver, mm-hmm. uh, the Honda Civic. And so when I had the 2017 Honda Civic, within the first, <laughs> I had it for one month and I racked up 5,000 miles. Oh boy. And with, yeah. And um, you know the factory shifters of Hondas, they're always excellent, but after a while you'll start to notice some slop developing in mm-hmm. the plastic kind of pivot ball and shift. Oh yeah, yeah. And so... Within the first two mo- one to two months, I racked up five to 10,000 miles, and I instantly started noticing some slop. And then so naturally, mm-hmm. I started researching car parts and being like, hey, you know what? There's this new company called Acuity Instruments. They have a couple things that, that kind of gravitate towards what I want in my mm-hmm. daily driver. I want stiffer centering action. I want maybe a little bit shorter throws. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want a little bit more smoothness in, towards the engagement because I, I'm a little bit more of an aggressive driver. I got a lead mm-hmm. foot. Um, and so Acuity kind of came to mind. And where I was at with the channel, it was probably around, uh, I think, 
I, I use subscriber numbers as kind of like my timeline because I have mm. trouble remembering years. Yeah. <laughs> so, but all this stuff. So it was at the time when I was like 8,000, I think, subs on YouTube. And so I felt like I had just had enough content on the Honda stuff to be like, hey, mm-hmm. um, Acuity, I would love to, you know, work with some of these parts. Is there any sort of sponsorship uh, mm-hmm. options that you guys have? And Russ was very kind enough to say no. <laughs> he mm-hmm. politely said, no, we don't have enough budget and uh to kind of allocate our sponsorships we're still a new company mm-hmm. and stuff and i was like you know what that makes me feel um really good about actually just buying the parts mm-hmm. and just kind of making the videos and so i really wanted to get the parts and try to get a feel for it and i was happy to pay for them full price i was just mm-hmm. trying to see if there was any opportunity to collaborate just a little bit more and so i ended up just making a couple videos for acuity with those parts and russ um, liked them enough where he was like hey you know what we have a couple um, upcoming parts to come uh, to market, like the short throw adapter and the mm-hmm. rocker arm and stuff like that. Uh, we would really love for you to help make the installation content for that stuff, um, just so that we can start having somebody that can regularly do this stuff for us. Mm-hmm. Um, because previously, they're kind of like reach out to customers that might have some skills with video editing. Um, but they don't have anyone that kind of understands social media. So like in a way I had to edit the content so that it still was mm-hmm. really entertaining and gravitated um, and fit in really well with social media. If that makes any sense. Cause like there are people that can make an install guide, you know, you can make it very basic and stuff, mm-hmm. but like either um, maybe the music is kind of a little bit like copyright E, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like the difference between yeah, like yeah. the YouTube library versus like more tailored stuff. Like you can kind of tell that like, it's very difficult to, for certain people to get like access to professional quality editing software or mm-hmm. the, the music XYZ. And I had all that already. And so I think that's kind of why they probably brought me on board. And not only that, um, they already knew that I had a background in mechanical engineering. So like mm-hmm. being able to communicate with him about certain features of parts mm-hmm. was another thing that, um, gave value to them at the time uh, to kind of roll the dice with me in a way to kind of see how I made content for them. Mm-hmm. And so over time, over the course of, I think, the next six to seven months, I just developed a more and more solid relationship. He started giving me more assignments, uh, more responsibilities on social media, helping them post stuff on social media too, creating ads. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first big break, I think, was the 10th gen shifter ad. I don't know if you remember seeing the one with like the purple liquid smoke kind of coming around the 10th gen shifter. Oh, or doing like yeah, shifter. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, once that kind of hit me, I realized that I could make this a full-time job. Like I could be like, okay, you know what? This is something where I can do something that I really like to do um, and pay all the bills with it, you know? And at the same time, not worry about trying to push a piece of content that may or may not do well on my mm-hmm. own channel and only generate a couple hundred bucks from it, you know, mm-hmm. like every single month. It's it's hard at the time yeah. as a social media uh, content creator to just realize how effectively you can make an income and make a living out of it. And um, it kind of all kind of fit together really well. Like Russ saw an opportunity eventually to be, be like, mm-hmm. hey, I can pay you the same rate that you're getting paid now at your current job if you really wanted to take this jump. And, That's um, dope. And I think the funny part was was that he kind of I, I think I think 
it wasn't fully set in stone and I kind of jumped the gun. And so when he started talking to me about like, Hey, you know what? Like, I think we should talk about maybe like getting you full time or part time and, you know, and I can match mm-hmm. your pay rate and everything. And I took that as I'm jumping ship tomorrow. Oh, wow. So, you, you were, you yeah. were like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I love this idea. We're committed. And he's like, wait, wait, yeah. hold on, hold on. Yeah. And so, and so Rush was like, wait, 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 you ready? You ready? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I put in my two weeks and then it was kind of, uh, <laughs> It's kind of like a, a kind of like a like a kind of big dice roll, mm-hmm. I think, on both parts. And in and long in in the grand scheme of things, you know, it worked out. Um, and I'm sure maybe there's some details that I'm missing out on, or maybe I have some small details that I'm uh, haven't correct. But like that's kind of how I remember it. Yeah. Um, it was very, I think, nerve wracking at first because you're just like, Hell wow, yes. I'm transitioning from. Mm-hmm what I thought was a super stable income, like mm-hmm. in the mechanical engineering field, like it's hard to kind of find a position where you know, like, oh, this company is good. This company will be around for a little bit. There's growth opportunities and stuff. And when you want to yeah. jump from that and do basically video editing and mm-hmm. marketing for a company, like to me, that was one, a dream job opportunity, but also mm-hmm. one of the biggest career risks that I, I took, I guess, um, that, I've, that I've had so far is a better way to say it. Yeah, um, I, I mean, and, I mean, dude, it's, like it, it's, it's proven and it's proven to be a good opportunity. And yeah. I don't really see myself really going to anything different. You know, like I'm really happy with it mm-hmm. because I, I mean, like, you know, I, I think we're kind of in or, or around the like millennial, maybe Gen Z for you uh, uh, kind of range. But the way I was brought up into the world was you get your degree, you work at a company and then you'll, you'll have stability. And I mean, you working, um, with your mechanical engineering, um, background, um, or education, um, you know, that's a very stable field, at least the way it was presented, but you know, things have changed so much. Um, since uh, at least I've come into the workforce where, you know, this whole myth of uh, stability is, is pretty much gone. And it, it feels like more often than not, the um, working for a quote-unquote small company ends up having all of the perks that are slowly, you know, disappearing from these larger corporations where it, it feels like you're more of a number um, than an individual. So, yeah, I guess I guess a better way to put it is, mm-hmm. is in, in today's economy and in today's, I guess, availability with the types of jobs that are out there, I just mm-hmm. think that security comes hand in hand in terms of like job security comes hand in hand with trust mm-hmm. because you have to really be able to say wholeheartedly, I not only like this company, I not only like what this company does, mm-hmm. I actually trust this company. And to be able to find a group of guys that, you know, makes awesome kick-ass car parts and put mm-hmm. so much effort into it, like, I, part of the reason why I jumped from that job to this one was because I truly believe in what this group of people is doing. That's awesome. And I trust that everything that they do mm-hmm. is doing it to the best of their ability and beyond. Mm-hmm. And that was something that kind of, blew my mind when I started working with them and it mm-hmm. still continues to blow my mind because it's just like every time I talk to Russ which is like maybe like once every <laughs> week or once every other week because I work remotely and yeah. he's always busy yeah I'm sure mm-hmm. you know um, but it, it just feels like I learned so much mm-hmm. from just one phone call conversation whether it's about 
engineering because mm-hmm. we geek out about a lot of different topics every now and then and he has really good explanations on like high level stuff mm-hmm. and um he also just updates me on like testing equipment and just like random stuff that's like going on and mm-hmm. ideas that he has and i'm just always baffled at the diversity and also the um this is just the cool stuff that he just comes up with. The, um, and that's yeah. kind of the reason why like my job still feels like exciting and like always something new around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it really tailors well to my ADHD brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean like, and this is kind of like one of the things that we were talking about when we were starting off the, the podcast is that, you know, one of my goals in having you on is to really highlight the unconventional route, because if you were to tell, you know, the older generation, the quote unquote boomers, that you're leaving your engineering job to do photos and videos right, for a right. small company that you're not even working in the same state, they would go like, oh my God, that is the riskiest thing ever. But <laughs> yep. when you're looking at it right now, it actually sounds like it's probably one of the more stable things that you can do. Um, because it's a growing company, you right. understand the, the, the mission statement and they're clearly investing in not just, uh, the R and D with their shifters, uh, doing the 10 million shifts. So, uh, fatigue to failure, um, setups, um, but also like understanding that it's the people that they're selling to that's going to be the ambassadors for their, uh, for their products so i mean uh, of course like for me when i when i look at that i'm like of course these are the people that you want to be involved with that uh work with because these are what i think are going to continue to go on and be successful in this uh in this field yes and and yeah like i i i really i'm looking forward to seeing how kind of our team just continuously grows because we're still relatively small. Mm-hmm. Like I know our shop is like about 9,000 square feet or something, but like mm-hmm. we're just starting to, I think, hire new people. So mm-hmm. like last year we're, we were a team of five. And so like everyone wears so many different hats and mm-hmm. as a small company, you kind of have to have the unconventional like routes of career path type mm-hmm. of people because a lot of the people that work at Acuity have so many different abilities and skill sets and backgrounds mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, like it's it's just it's almost like one of those things that you need you need an odd set of diversity in a small business to mm-hmm. to kind of have it kind of constantly keep going and innovating and yeah. doing things differently. And um, it's just been a lot of fun, like the whole journey and that all that stuff. Dope. Like I know there's there's stressful times where you know we're trying to to Me pick buddies. up sales you know yeah. we're trying to market new products and stuff or maybe there's a market that um wasn't doing as well as we thought and there's mm-hmm. always different things that get thrown your way um but i i i've grown to try to make sure that no matter uh what i do on social media at the very least it's something that that we think is fun mm-hmm. and it's not just something to just appease an algorithm because early mm-hmm. on like i was really trying to do trends and mm-hmm. i was trying to like basically mimic a lot of motorsport platforms that were bigger Mm -hmm. than us without realizing that um a lot of that footage although although it's entertaining it's not putting in the it's not providing the conversions Mm. you know and that was what was troubled me for a while and it definitely made me 
uh, feel stressed out in terms of my own abilities mm-hmm. at some points because it's like I know that what I'm making is good content, but it's just not hitting right, you know, or it's not getting the views that you want, or it's yeah. not getting the conversions that you want with with a product. And it can take years sometimes for some people. And for us, I think it took about three years before we found the content that really stuck. And that was like the short uh, 10 second shift clips or like the part snapping together clips that you've seen on our mm-hmm, channel mm-hmm. or like cable bushings moving. Um, once once I realized that that was the type of stuff that resonated well with our followers, I just doubled down on that to see mm-hmm. where it would go. And then naturally it started bring, bringing the conversions. Yeah, um, that's... Yeah, it's it's really hard because it, in a certain way, like I can parallel um, with uh, the struggle of of conversions. And for those that uh, may not be in the know, or you know, conversion is essentially taking somebody who's a viewer into a customer and right. uh, making. Oh, oh, hold on! I may have just kicked my recorder. Okay, we're we're still good. No, no, we're still good. I still okay, hear you. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so, yeah, doing the uh, conversions is essentially getting a, a viewer into a customer. And, yeah, it is It is really hard because sometimes you'll have something go viral and you don't know why. It's, like, a really easy thing. And there's stuff that you're like, oh, this is going to hit. And then it's, like, yes. straight crickets. And the stuff right. that you don't know that it's going to hit is, uh, you know, amazing. Like, I I am still, like, so grateful for all of the people that uh, have come on the podcast. And there are some podcast episodes that do amazingly well and others that are crickets. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like your core audience and the people who are really invested, um, those will be, I, I guess, uh, future purchasers of, like, events that you're doing buying shirts for me um was kind of like a big deal um so yeah it's really interesting especially in the motorsports uh realm because sometimes the conversion doesn't happen you know from when you publish the video to like they see it and then they go ahead and buy it because oftentimes Mm -hmm. people save up to buy um, like your guys' shifter uh, kit nice. or whatnot. So you, it, there is a lag time there. So it is really interesting to hear you talk about the conversion. And I and I think I think kind of what you're you're going towards in terms of like you know seeing the time between that. And I, I call moments where like you're reminded to. I mean, it's it is a broad term that uh, my friend Eli, who's a marketing analyst, uh, told taught me is touch points. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, you, the touch point that you originally saw it from could be a viral video mm-hmm. or it could be a post. But you know, as you save money or as you kind of just kind of maybe put it off, uh, the amount of times that you see it again with each touch point can mm-hmm. get you towards the final conversion of the sale. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's it's very interesting to see. Um, how people consider touch points to be that route into the final sale. Like basically what I'm trying Mm -hmm. to say is that like, I find interest in seeing what final touch point got a person to make Mm. that purchase, you know? And that's really interesting to me all the time because, um, I can clearly see that it comes from our videos Mm -hmm. because sometimes like when a video goes viral, Russ would be like, Hey man, like we just sold out like a bunch of these, like what content did you post last week? And I was like, Oh, well I did post this. And I was like, we don't have the hard data to show that, but I guarantee you it's probably from that because it just doesn't make sense otherwise. With that I spike. see. So that was um, like 
the the straw that broke the camel's back where they're like all right now now i'm now i'm going for it right 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 and and so so i guess to kind of roll back and and say how like now that we realize the short format content stuff is is really what kind of generates those conversions um every time that i do have a potentially viral video i kind of uh, expect that Russ mm-hmm. or somebody will mention something because it is very interesting and and also really um, fulfilling to know mm. what exactly you're doing is contributing to uh, profitability for the company. That's because dope. as much as much data that and stuff that is out there, I'll be honest, like it it's still at the end of the day um, easier to just say, hey, you know what, this video is content that resonates with my audience mm-hmm. and it's clearly showing the traffic. Like when it makes that much of an impact where you can see on the sales side that it actually is generating sales, mm-hmm. like that's how you know you've you've kind of hit a home run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I see a lot of people trying to analyze stuff microly to like the data side and try mm-hmm. to bribe data. And, and I'm not trying to discount it. I think that that's also excellent. Mm-hmm. But I'm just basically trying to say that people can still find success on social media by making conversions on social media without having to really um, spend thousands and thousands of dollars in the traditional marketing marketing stuff that is available in Facebook, mm-hmm. Instagram, TikTok, and all that stuff. Because in those, in those fields, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like a pay-to-play type mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. The more money that you can put in, you're going to get those conversion results that are backed by that data. Mm-hmm. So you scale the amount that you have to pay mm-hmm. by the amount of expectation that the data is telling you to do mm-hmm. in order to get the results that you're looking for. But like mm-hmm. what I found pride in is being able to do that without spending that money in the marketing side mm-hmm. and just make the content that gets people to be like, hey, you know what? This stuff is awesome. And they're showing me why it's awesome. And it's showing it in a race car or it's showing it in a way where it just tickles my brain with like some ASMR type stuff. And, mm-hmm. and like... It's 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 that alone that has made me realize, you know what, like I feel really good about what I do because I can tell you like early on, like the first couple of years, I would put so much effort into like racing videos and I still do. Like I put a mm-hmm. lot of effort into all the content in general, but being able to finally reach a point where you're like, you know what, this is the type of content that I know resonates with our audience and mm-hmm. makes sales for the company. And I'm like at this new point in time where I'm like, I feel very confident in what I'm doing. Because mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like you said in the beginning with any small business, there's a lot of uncertainty mm-hmm. and you're not sure if a company is going to do well or anything like that. And a lot of it's a big risk. But, you know, like part of that early on for me was like, I got to put in the hard work to make sure that I refine my craft. And with time, I trusted that it was going to be a period of time where I realized what is going to be that big viral moment, you know? Mm -hmm. And so what I tell people for advice with social media is that don't really focus too much on trying to be trendy or trying to be Mm -hmm. too different. If you stick with what you're committed to making Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like what your channel or what your platform is all about, you'll naturally find those moments like you just said where a podcast did unexpectedly really well. Mm -hmm. And when you realize that with your wins, you can double down on what did go well or Mm -hmm. double down on something similar to kind of keep growing. Like Mm -hmm. you you gain that confidence and then you slowly figure out the picture Mm -hmm. of what is best for your specific brand or your Mm -hmm. specific platform and stuff. And it could take someone one year. It could take somebody 10 years. Like I've Mm -hmm. seen channels that have taken 10 years before they blew up, you know, Mm -hmm. or channels that only take six months and, Everyone is different. Everyone works at their own pace. Because at the end of the day, what I've learned is that you don't want to sacrifice your own mental health for all yeah. this. Yeah. 
let's be honest, social media is not really great for mental health. If not, it's detrimental for the mm-hmm. most part, unless you really understand how to use it to um, really like accelerate your career or mm-hmm. accelerate your business. Like you have to take the personal side of it out mm-hmm. in order to really enjoy it more, if that makes any sense. Like you can treat it like entertainment, mm-hmm. but it's really easy for yourself as a content creator to compare yourself to others. And oh, yeah. that that alone is part of the reason why I think a lot of people can get really depressed with the content creation oh, yeah. space. So, oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I'm sure that you know, like, three years into this, mm-hmm. like, I'm sure that you probably wish you had a couple more followers or you wish you were able to put out this type of content. And the more mm-hmm. that I realized that I wanted, the more that I realized I did that, I think the, the less happy that I was with what I did. And once mm-hmm. I realized that, you know what, like, make sure that whatever you're putting out is honest to what, you enjoy and mm-hmm. what your company enjoys and what your company is about and the rest just falls into place with time because it's not worth your time to really stress out and try to figure out the next big thing mm-hmm. like you know what's been doing good and mm-hmm. so once you figure out or find that one viral thing double down on all that stuff because mm-hmm. that kind of gets you the, the the bigger pieces of progress than just trying to like copy somebody or i, I mean that being said mm-hmm. being able to follow trends and maximize like exposure through mm-hmm. trends is another skill set and i think that if people can do it more That's power great. to you but it's not going to work for everyone i don't like yeah. the channels that say follow these tips in order to get this exposure it is not going to work for everyone it's going to mm-hmm. work for the content creators that are very much used to this hustle mm-hmm. very much used to a specific style and mm-hmm. really just up to speed with everything else but no nobody is working at the same pace yeah so that's why i think that like a lot of the people that try to be really trendy and follow all this stuff it's like you would have to really keep up with the big dogs and most of us aren't most of us are just small businesses most of us are just really trying to promote a service or promote a perspective promote a way of life promote a lifestyle and it's not going to be as big as like the kardashians or Good. taylor swift you know or the super bowl you know and and um yeah because pinnacles has, are, has their own yeah because pinnacles are pinnacles and you know there's also you know one of my favorite uh comedians um bill burr um he he had this thing where he he talked about you know it's better to own a hundred percent of like twenty thousand dollars of sales than to own um you know twenty percent of a million dollars of sales because you're, you you're more in control and i think it's also kind of pointing out um like one of the things that i've had to learn is that you know you want to make things in a way that you can be consistent with them because I feel like consistency exactly. is, is really the the kind of like war of attrition, if you will, because there there yeah. are some podcasts where I was like, oh my God, I really like this. And I go through 10 shows and then they're like, all right, uh, this isn't sustainable. We're going to quit. And it's like, oh man, like this was a right. bummer. Um, or you see like YouTube shows where it's like, hey, we, we, we're not doing as much and it's because they were going so hard and right. exposing themselves so much that you know it was unattainable so uh, so like to me i look at it and i'm like well can you maintain with your current setup and are you okay with the um you know level of notoriety that you get and yeah you know i'm not the biggest person out there but 
you know, I know that if I go to a NASA event in the East Coast or, um, you know, I, I have opportunities to instruct with uh, Grid Life and bring people there um, when they come to the West Coast. And I'm like, dude, I'm I'm really happy with that. Like, if it doesn't go any anything beyond that i mean like dude the the fact that i've had even russell like say like dude we want you to go to the uh grid life event over in um and what is it in in ginger midwest yeah yeah and and i'm like dude like just to be someone that is has the notoriety to to be included in those events it's 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 wild and you know we were talking about it earlier where it's like, you know, how do you get to these levels of motorsports? And it's like, it's also being a likable person that people want to spend time with and being with yeah, organizations and, that... And being, yeah. and being an active participant in mm-hmm. all of this stuff. Yeah, I, I feel exactly that way with the grid life community because mm-hmm. it's just like, you know what? I'm not competing. I'm shooting content, but I'm part of it. You know, like mm-hmm. I feel like I'm one of the community members and I'm enjoying the racing hopefully as close to as much as the drivers are themselves yeah. you know like i really like to live through my friends and the drivers and the mm-hmm. team members who work with those moments um because it's it's it just feels your inspiration mm-hmm. and to just do more stuff and yeah like and it's funny because it's so it's been so consistent mm-hmm. i think i think the content that i've put out recently from those events have been super consistent because the consistency of the experiences at grid life events has always been positive. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's, there's some bad wrecks occasionally. Yeah. There might be some tension Mm -hmm. here and there between some drivers, but overall it's a very, very welcoming community. And it's, it's something that I, I, I I always tell myself, like I'm truly grateful that the experiences that I have with acuity have kind of brought me to this point because earlier on, like you said, like I, I, like you were asking me, like, mm. how did I see myself going into the career path? I didn't see myself going into <laughs> grid life. I, I'll be perfectly honest. I literally mm. thought that I was maybe going to do drag racing for a little bit, maybe do some drifting, but mm-hmm. I had no idea how the drift scene was going to grow at the time. Mm. Like, this was like 2016, 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, seeing, knowing that and then seeing where I'm at now, I, I, I have no regrets because I'm like, dude, you now have a 97 M3 that mm-hmm. you're literally taking to the track yourself. And at this point in time, I'm literally piecing together upgraded bushing, steering rack, and all this type of stuff uh, just to get it ready. And like, if I were to turn back the tables and ask myself what I expected, like, I would not have seen this coming, but I feel like the person that I was mm-hmm. 10 years ago would still be very happy. Yeah. You know? So since i i think it would be um i would be remiss if and i'm not sure if i'm using that word correctly um <laughs> if i didn't ask like you mentioned that you had your own youtube um uh channel and that mm-hmm. when you were brought in with acuity you kind of already had the tools so for some people you know I, I imagine they're they're looking at um, if if they want to mimic some of what you've had in success. Where would you think um, the amount of uh, effort or even money would would be um, placed best um, for someone who's trying to do you know content, if you will? So I guess okay. So I guess to to start out with some easy stuff. I guess financially, mm-hmm. I don't think it's worth investing in high quality equipment. 
Like, mm. use your phone. Use whatever device that can record video first. Like, if you're able to produce and edit content effectively mm. with minimal amounts of devices and minimal amounts of, like, um, equipment overall to, like, try to get that perfect shot or mm-hmm. whatever, you know? Like, if you can minimize all that and still produce a quality video, mm-hmm. um, that is a valuable skill to have mm-hmm. because it will naturally teach you to improvise. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's almost like knowing how to throw yourself into a, not a fire, but like a micro fire, mm. if that kind of makes any sense. Like, I think... Early on, um, what I now, because like in hindsight, I was super stressed about it because mm-hmm. it's like, oh man, I only have the capability of doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, I only can afford this. Uh, but if you look at all the original videos that I put out, if you look at all the ads that I've made for Acuity, all of that stuff has been made with literally like the the entry level uh, <laughs> camera kits that you can get on Amazon, like an nice. A sixty five hundred. That is like maybe what, like still eight hundred bucks or something on Amazon, mm-hmm. but you get like the cheap hundred dollar kit lens with it. So like under a thousand bucks, like mm-hmm. that is like something that I think most creators like end up getting. Mm-hmm. Um, I still use that to this day. I don't even I don't use uh, a four. I don't even really shoot in four K. I still shoot in ten eighty most of the time because most mm-hmm. of it goes on your phone. Um, I downscale from 4K, but that's a different story. That's a, we can unpack okay. that another. Uh, the, the editing stuff we can unpack, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So like getting started, like don't be afraid to work with what you have. Mm-hmm. And I think that being able to maximize what you have um, ends up building better skills over time. Because if you start out with the professional, it's like almost like buying a Ferrari mm-hmm. and then not driving at all for the first time. It's like your first track car was a Ferrari. Like you had so much potential in a car, but you had no seat time. Um, and so that's kind of how I look at it in hindsight, learning what I know now from motorsport is because, because I was working with so much less and was still able to produce really quality content that still um, helped promote the company and, and mm-hmm. push sales. It blew my mind now thinking back on that stuff, you know, and, and still using that equipment to this day mm-hmm. is another reason why I think, you know what, like, like doing stuff a little bit unconventionally is a good thing. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be, you don't have to follow the exact camera equipment that that influencer that is your favorite has, you know, you can do, you can even edit stuff to still look the same way with different equipment. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's all about the diversity and adversity and kind of what you learn and what you force yourself to learn over time. Um, So like embrace the chaos Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like what I what I think with all that stuff because early on it's going to feel overwhelming to try yeah. to be like the other people um, but once you kind of figure out your own rhythm and once you get confident in mm-hmm. using what you have that just basically makes every next better opportunity whether it's like a new piece of equipment or mm-hmm. a new gig or anything like that it makes it that much more special because the progress ends up being um, right in your face like you see it like, wow, this gig now requires me to do this. Now it justifies me trying to either upgrade my equipment, upgrade my software, or do all this stuff. Like it allows yourself to really grow in in um, concrete baby steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, now in my case, like early on, like I had a couple of vlog cameras, like a GX, um, a, I think, I, I forget the name at this point, but right now I have like a small vlog ZV-1, like a Sony ZV-1 vlog camera. Yeah. But at the time, like, um, I didn't have enough funding um, 
And Rust didn't really have enough funding, so all that we could afford collectively was the A6500 mm. with, like, a kit lens, you know? Like, I wasn't going to ask him to buy, like, uh, mm. uh, a RED camera or something, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, but, like, to do all those special effects with, like, the smoke and stuff, like, I had to build a fish tank, submerge parts <laughs> in water, and use acrylic ink in, like... Uh, medical syringes that I picked up from Amazon just mm -hmm. to create like actual effects that could have been created with CGI if you had hired maybe like a $500 an hour CGI guy or whatever, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, but I, I but feel like, like there's, there's like an authenticity to some, something like that because you know, the fact that it isn't CGI and it had to go through it, it, it gives like um, kind of the, that, that vibe I think works really well. Um, it just was fun. It just, mm -hmm. The thing is, is what it produced in the end was something that was really, really fun to edit and fun to make. Mm -hmm. um, stressful to execute because, like, there was <laughs> definitely things that were, like, really, really annoying to do. Like, the most annoying thing to do with, like, the whole smoke situation was, like, filling and emptying the tank. Yeah. 10-gallon <laughs> fish tank. Oh, boy. To submerge all these parts and get acrylic ink, wash in, wash out, not stain anything. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. But... Um, that, that's a different story for another time if we come back. Um, <laughs> and you will, uh, and you will. Be. Yeah, but sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no. So did I, did I answer that question? Like, yeah, properly? like no, there's more you, of that you're I can fine. of course get into if you want to poke around, but, um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's the best way I think people should start is I, just, yeah, yeah. I, I think what, what it's really boiling down to is that, you know, back to our original conversation is uh, being able to be consistent with the tools that you have is that yes. don't don't buy something that, you know, you have to spend, you know, two or three months uh, saving up for um, if you could get something to start off really quick. And I mean, you and I both uh, pointed out that sometimes, um, you know, the stuff that hits and goes viral and maybe effective or whatever. It, it may not be the, like, you know, highly refined thing or, or whatever. It, it, it may be kind of dumb and quirky and short. Right. And you're, you're like, oh, this actually worked. And the availability of being able to try and build up and see what works and doesn't work, I think is more uh, significant. But definitely, like, having a decent uh, video editor and stuff like that um w would be something you would recommend i imagine yeah i mean like honestly like i started out with free software like i mm -hmm. basically i when i first started at youtube i i didn't imagine a heavy investment because i was like you know what i really mm -hmm. don't want to spend that money on the camera unless i know for sure mm -hmm. that this is something that i can keep up and do consistently like mm -hmm. you mentioned, it's like I was questioning at the time whether I could be consistent when I started the YouTube yeah. channel. And I was really just recording off of uh, an iPhone 6 with a selfie cam. Uh, probably it was probably in like 720p or something, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, like everything was shot with iPhone clips and edited with, shoot, what was the name of the software? I don't know. They're probably not even around <laughs> anymore, but it was on an older PC. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically... Just everything was trying to be super, super cost restrictive. Mm -hmm. And after three or four videos doing well, and after my first, I think, 500 to 1,000 subscribers, I felt confident enough. We're mm -hmm. like, okay, get a vlog camera, you know? Maybe mm -hmm. start getting into Premiere Pro or teach yourself how to use something more advanced. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just slowly builds up from there. Mm -hmm. And then once you get big opportunities, whether it be like, like a bigger gig or a bigger uh, client that wants to pay you for editing stuff, or in my case, working for Acuity, mm -hmm. that is when you start asking 
different questions and be like, hey, what can we do to help contribute to the quality of the production? Mm -hmm. You know, like, can you help fund some camera equipment at the time? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of why, like, I still use that very first camera, you nice. know, and I never really see a, a need to upgrade because it can, it can shoot in 4K if I need to. I have, like, two lenses that I bought, like, maybe four or five years ago mm -hmm. uh, with my own money. I didn't, I didn't really spend it. But I like, don't even use those. Mm. I still use the original kit lens that <laughs> Russell paid for. <laughs> oh. like, it's still, like, I'm staring at it right now. <laughs> That's um, dope. But uh, what was I going to say? Um, oh, another thing about consistency that I think a lot of people um, don't realize about like, social media is that when you do have a lot of success and when you do have that like one or two months where like you're going off, don't be mad at yourself or don't be hard on yourself if that trajectory can't stay consistent. Oh, like, does yeah. that make sense? Like, yeah, like yeah. let's say you had a, like in our case, honestly, um, so you mentioned like one, that one video that went viral, the one video that went viral for us that I did not expect to do well, because frankly it was mm -hmm. an accident posting it to begin with. Oh boy. Um, was that, you know, the wiggle video that you saw, I'm sure you saw the wiggle video. It's the one that literally was comparing the stock shifter. Oh to the yeah. Yeah. Shifter, yeah. Right. So that the story with that one was I was preparing dinner with my uh, fiance, uh, just trying to like cook some stuff. And then I had this one clip that I was kind of had in my back pocket that I was thinking about sharing to Russ mm -hmm. um, just to kind of post on our social media. And I had it drafted on TikTok. Mm -hmm. And so basically I was just kind of like doing ha ha ha, you know, like just messing around with a caption and just trying to do something silly to see how it would look. And I was like, you know what? I wonder if people would like see this, notice the difference or something like that or have mm -hmm. a comment on the differences or the, 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 the specifically like how much slop was in, um, in both shifters. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I had meant to save it as a draft, uh, but I accidentally published it and then, oh, uh, boy. went about making dinner, cooking dinner, you know? Mm -hmm. And it, so an hour goes by sitting down at dinner. I'm just checking my phone because now I'm starting to get blown up with notifications and I'm just like, holy shit. I accidentally posted that video. Sorry, I, I don't mean to swear. So no, you no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, but, um, but I was like, holy shit. Like, it's got 10,000 views, and I didn't mean to post this. <laughs> um, and I still was thinking about taking it down because, like, I didn't really like how I did the caption completely yeah, yeah, yeah. and small things like the hashtags and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know how it is. Like, yeah. I'm sure you've accidentally posted something like, ah, oh, I wish I did this like yeah. that or something. Yeah. Um, so at this point it was like eight o'clock, nine o'clock. Um, and I was winding down my day and I was like, you know what? I'll, I'm going to deal with it tomorrow. Like I'll let it simmer because it already reached a lot of views. What, how, how, how much could it hurt or how much, mm -hmm. what damage could it do? Uh, it didn't do any damage luckily because the next morning I woke up to almost 2 million views. Damn. Yeah. And then by the end of the day, it was at 25 million. And then by the <laughs> next day it had reached, sorry, by the end of the week it had reached almost 40. Wow. And I was like, holy crap. And <laughs> the account went from 20,000 followers all the way to 135 followers Damn. in one week. Yeah. And Damn. so me, panic, it was like, I was super excited, but also panicking because I, I was not ready to deal with that load of customer service tickets coming in with messages. Oh, and that's right. Because <laughs> we have Zendesk, right? So, um, we didn't really have messages set up on TikTok, so they started going into the Instagram and started messaging us there. Uh, but then at that point, I realized, hmm, let me try posting it on Instagram and seeing how that does. So I decided to keep everything the same, post the exact same video clip on Instagram, 40 million views within a month. Wow. Like about crazy, right? Yeah. And so 
and so basically what I so I, I guess to go back into the conversation on being consistent and knowing mm-hmm. when to seize the opportunity, as soon as that I realized the potential of this virality with the TikTok stuff, I instantly started trying to pin and and kind of prioritize videos in the feed that I originally thought that should have gotten views and didn't. Mm-hmm. And all of those videos started picking up millions of views too. Damn. And so it was one of those seize the moment type opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um but to kind of circle back to what I was originally saying with like, don't be mad at yourself if the stuff doesn't stay consistent. I had to have a conversation where I ended up naturally having a conversation with Russ about the virality of, of that piece of content and how it kind of boosted all of our subscribers and following on mm-hmm. all these accounts. Um, temporarily, I was like, hey, I'm not going to say that I can do this again. I think that I can on a smaller scale, but like I- I'm very excited about the success, but I'm not going to be upset or I'm not going to... Um, let yeah. myself feel let down if this kind of success doesn't happen again anytime soon. Yeah, it, it's, it's being realistic. Like, being it's, realistic. Yeah, you really have to be realistic. Like you mm-hmm. have to be. You have to celebrate the win, and you and you should put all of your effort to maximize its benefits at the time it happens. Mm-hmm. But you also have to be nice enough to yourself to understand that like it's not always going to be like this. Yeah. So enjoy it, savor it, cherish it. Um, and just try to learn from it as best as you can. And what I learned from it was, this is the type of content that resonates with our audience, especially ones that are even outside of our niche, mm-hmm. outside the Honda Naku community. So the fact that that video got that many views told me that, you know what, a content piece like this not only will promote your company, will bring interest and be an entertaining piece, but it will also drive conversation. It will also expand to different perspectives. It might teach people outside of the automotive something new too. And so... It kind of opened my mind into a different way of approaching all of our content, and it re- and that video alone started shaping how I made all the rest of the reels for the that's rest of the year. Good. That's cool. And so that's kind of how it changed the consistency a little mm-hmm. bit to something new. But at the same time, I really wanted to like make mm. like a one-two punch. Like, okay, these mm. videos are doing really well on TikTok and and reels. Let's put other pieces of content around it to try to get mm. those promotions. And it call on a called it call, all just kind of worked out. That's awesome. Dude. Yeah, and I was really grateful for that because, because again, like I mentioned, Dude, like, the wild. previous three years, I was like, I don't know if I found that one big thing yet. <laughs> you know, like I know I can make excellent ads, and the ads do mm-hmm. really well, but I really want to find something that just like hits our accounts, yeah, like, very nicely, and something that people can can expect us to do consistently mm-hmm. and always come back to for that piece of entertainment. You know, that's dope, man. I mean. It, it, it's it's really dope when you see something just like climb up like that and that that kind of um endorphin rush that you get from that it is pretty dope but again keeping things um realistic and being um consistent right. is it's really kind of the takeaways from here and honestly right. dude we're we're almost at an hour and 20 minutes so no um, way wow it's been a while <laughs> sorry i know i know no. i can ramble no it, it's uh, good it makes it it makes my job way easier so um i i mean of course if you want to keep on following um Powen, um and his amazing work with uh acuity follow uh acuity instruments so on instagram tiktok and youtube right Yes. So on, on Instagram, I'm known as a P-O-W-O-W-6-6. Okay. And on uh, YouTube, my YouTube channel is called Pawinning. So it's P-A-W-I-N-N-I-N-G. It's just a play on my name. Okay. Um, but yeah, so like 
I'm not really too active on it. I'm actually more active on my Instagram because mm-hmm. I've been posting updates on the race car or the HBDE car that I've been building. Nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, most of uh, what I take pride in is on the Acuity account at the mm-hmm. moment because I basically do everything from the social media side to mm-hmm. the marketing side. Um, we got some help from my 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 uh, my friends too on that stuff. Um, and and Russell, of course, does a lot of the work, kind of yeah. managing the website and all that stuff, engineering the parts. But um, most of what you can find about me is definitely on the Acuity account in terms right. of like all of the media stuff. So, so I hope I hope we can keep bringing on that cool content. Like I've I've been soul searching this this <laughs> year so far. I haven't figured out what I really want to put all of my effort into yet, mm-hmm. but I'm starting to kind of get some clarity on what I want to do. That's dope, um, man. And I you know I I like being um you know connected to people who are doing uh, things like that and are really passionate about uh, what they are doing. And um, you know, Russ. Um, you know, pointed me to to you, and I was really excited uh, to have you on and have this conversation. So th- this has been a, a blast, and I'm looking forward to seeing what what you do with your first uh, track day. Um, or I'm actually well, this isn't the, the first track day. I'd no, say this is probably yeah. I think may I would say if like going actually seriously, this is probably the second year. But honestly, dude, I only have like four or five like okay. track days in me, so I would still consider myself a novice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I, I, I meant uh, to say the the new track day build. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm super pumped with that yeah. car, and um, thank you so much for having me on. It's it's Anytime, been a blast, man. and and if you want to, you know, just like talk about social media and stuff on the side or mm-hmm. back on this podcast, I'm happy to come back. Oh, for there's sure. There's plenty of other things I'm sure we can for we can sure get into the nitty gritty of. Yeah. No. Like again, I. I I think that when you surround yourself with people who you think are doing um, things really well, you can kind of leech off of uh, their skill set and understand like what they're doing um, that can be helpful. And, you know, uh, just put yourself around people who have a, a good work ethic and a good idea and, and you can uh, kind of help each other out. So I, I, I love it. I, been very thankful for what uh russell has done um and uh, helped me out with uh my my situation with my eighth gen so um and you doing the clips for for the podcast i greatly appreciate those those are You're very welcome. really awesome it's, it's very fun for me to do that it's a change of pace that i always embrace yeah where it's I, like you know like I, I i like to push myself to do stuff that's different mm-hmm. and the way that you did the audio clips with the reels i thought that was really cool i didn't yeah. want to copy that i was like no that's 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 kind <laughs> of so i wanted to do something a little different you know like try like the caption style text and stuff and see mm-hmm. how that goes um but yeah no i think doing podcasts and seeing podcasts and being on podcasts has definitely mm. been continuous inspiration on my end too because mm. there's only so much that you can do and mm. and i feel like for me it's been the short format stuff for acuity the ads and for you it's the podcast and really mm. engaging with people in the community and I'd, I'd be honored to come back oh for sure we're definitely going to have you uh on again uh to talk more about your um track and uh what what um what we can do to get you more more out there uh, in the Northeast, because uh, I know a couple people out there um, who sweet. Who yeah, well, hey, if you ever come to Boston, my parents have a Thai food place, so oh, I definitely treat you some for Thai for sure. Food. That would be <laughs> sick. Oh man, that would be dope. That'd be dope. Yeah. So whether or not it's in Boston or at a Grid Life event, I, I look forward to the next time we hang out. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Pawan, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for everything that you do and. Um, yeah, um, 
with, with that being said, I guess I'll see you guys next Monday. Thank you again. Thank you.